Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Keeping Them Safe. I'm Sharon Doty, and I'm here to empower you to be the people who create an environment that is safe for all children. We are here to eradicate child sexual abuse from the planet. Big goal, big objective, one that I'm pretty sure won't be uh, accomplished in my lifetime. But I'm very, very willing to spend part of my life every single day working toward that objective. Now, um, experience tells me that most of you started listening to these sessions with a bit of skepticism. Uh, some of you may have started listening out of curiosity, but you already know a lot about how to prevent child sexual abuse in your view. And, and you probably think you're already doing exactly what needs to be done to protect your children from sexual predators. If you're a professional in the field, you think you already have all the information you need to give to parents and other adults to create safe environments for kids. However, if you listen carefully, you start to realize that what you're doing and what we already know to do, while it's not nothing, it's also not everything that can be done to create a safe environment and to stop predators from grooming and trapping our children and the children in our environments. In these episodes, we're learning about the grooming process the potentially risky behavioral warning signs of potential predators and the need to take action to interrupt the grooming process so that children are safe. We're learning in these episodes how to stop it before it happens, not just stop it once it's happened from happening again. Here we can start to glimpse why predators have been so successful for so very long. No matter how appalled we are by the behavior of predators, in these conversations, we can start to understand why and how they've succeeded for so very long. I mean, the news is full of examples of how predators create an environment that promotes their agenda to sexually abuse children. We can read about or listen to these accounts and come away with an attitude of hopelessness and futility, or we can begin to see that the tools that we're offering through keeping them safe are the opportunity for society to become the hammer that puts a nail in the coffin of child sexual abuse and ends the risk for all children forever. In the process, we have to begin to really confront the scope and the nature of the problem. Now, how do we do that? Well, first, I can give you statistics. I can tell you that one out of four girls and one out of eight boys will be molested by the time they're 18. I can share with you that the research has reliably told us for years that 89% of those who abuse our children are people that the children know and trust and that the parents, guardians, and community also know and trust. I can also tell you 
that the research shows that 60% of the predators who molest girls are men. That 19% of the people who molest young boys are women. That 20 to 40% of perpetrators are couples acting in concert. And that upwards of 50% of the risk to young children is from older siblings or other children under the age of 18. Now, I can give you all those numbers. And if you're someone like me, the numbers are sometimes so startling and so cold that I can't absorb them in a way that's useful or helpful. You know, I think it's similar to that reality that there are many out there in our environment, and you can see it on social media all the time, who have opinions and beliefs about a particular culture or a particular gender expression. That belief is so strong that it can't be moved by facts, by numbers, by explanations until that moment when that person with that strongly held belief who's absolutely convinced of the truth of it meets someone, a real live human being that's attached to that culture or has that particular gender expression. Until there are real human beings attached to the issue, it's difficult to relate, it's difficult to understand, and for some people it's very scary because it threatens their very core, the very core of their environment. So for me, the faces of children who live in the reality of this abuse are very real. Of over 50 years as an advocate for abused and neglected children, someone actively engaged in dealing with the issue has left me with very many mental pictures of the faces of children and young people whose lives were irrevocably impacted by the actions of a violent or a sexually aggressive older child or adult. Something that keeps it present for me as a reality that many are still living in is the news stories about the real traumas and dramas that raise awareness about the scope of the problem and the ability of predators to get away with the harm they cause often because no one spoke up. In fact, there are several very, very public examples in recent years that demonstrate the charismatic power of predators and the difficulty we have in seeing the problem and raising concerns. And I'm guessing that when I bring these up, many of you had the thought at the time, why did nobody speak up? Why does nobody say anything about this? How can this happen? Well, it happens because people have a fear of communicating. People have a fear of being retaliated against if they do. And children think they won't be believed. And so do we sometimes. You know, uh, when we look at these examples, we can see how very big some of the problem is and how very effective predators are at keeping it out of the news. The recent incarceration 
and apparent suicide of a powerful financier on human trafficking and child sexual abuse charges that led to the scandalous downfall of a prominent member of the royal family is but one example of how predators are able to skirt the law and avoid being held accountable. His power and position won him a reprieve from the legal system when earlier charges were raised. Only when a number of others came forward and kept coming forward was he finally held accountable. And even then, there are young women, teenagers out there who were manipulated, trafficked, used by him and others, very prominent, very powerful men that are still afraid to speak up. Now, his apparent suicide left us with many unanswered questions about the network of trafficking and child sexual abuse that he promoted, financed, and facilitated. And a woman, his second-in-command, was convicted of facilitating the abuse of other young women and teens. And it is difficult for us to imagine that a woman would do that. She's now serving time in prison for her part in that scheme. That's one very public example of how powerful people get away with the network of abuse and trafficking. In another recent case, a high school principal and the school superintendent were suspended for failure to report a predator they'd had complaints about for years. The children's complaints were disregarded because in the judgment of the principal and the superintendent, the kids were probably lying. Didn't matter how many there were. Didn't matter that the situations they were being, that were being reported were similar. Didn't matter that the behaviors were there. No. After all, this principal, this superintendent had known this man for years and they knew him to be of high moral character. So they did nothing and more and more girls were molested. They did nothing in response to the complaints. Another very effective way for predators to get by with it. See, this person, this man, had cultivated an environment that saw him through a different set of eyes. And even when there were many, many complaints about his behavior and about him abusing young women, they were not believed because he had cultivated this relationship with the leadership and lured them into an environment where they couldn't see his behavior as risky. Another one of the most public conversations we've had in recent years is the story of American gymnasts, powerful young women who were methodically mis- molested by their doctor. That story shocked the country and it reminded us of a couple of things. It reminded us of how clever and manipulative predators can be. I mean, this man was a well-respected physician. And he was given unfettered access to these young female gymnasts because he cultivated 
a trust relationship with the adults. They didn't know what to look for. And they couldn't see what they were looking at. They thought they were protecting their children while he was molesting these girls for years and years without interruption and often right in the same room with parents. Now, some of you might say, what were they thinking? Couldn't they see? No, this man had created an environment where they could not see what they were looking at. They could not see because he had cultivated a relationship of trust with them and convinced them that everything he was doing was in the best interests of their children. They didn't know what to look for, and they couldn't see what they were looking at. So no one reported him until those young women had the strength and courage to speak up. Predators are charismatic and cunning. They convince trusting parents and others that their intentions are honorable and they build trust relationships such that potentially risky behaviors are ignored or excused and violations of policies and safe environment practices slip by unnoticed or at least unchecked. Our job as responsible caring adults is to never let our guard down. We must always be aware of what's happening in the environment and take notice of situations and circumstances that cause concern or violate policies or procedures. We got to remember that being trustworthy or reliable doesn't excuse anyone from behaving appropriately. It doesn't excuse anyone from following proper procedures. See, those who have the best interests of our children at heart will always find ways to demonstrate openness in their interactions with and working with our children. They will cultivate relationships that include being aware of the need to keep our eyes open and our view uncluttered by feelings, thoughts, and emotions when look at when we're looking to tending to the safety of our children. They will be like the um, youth uh, minister who stood up in the middle of one of my sessions and turned to the approximately 700 people that were in the room and said, I am learning so much today about what's appropriate and inappropriate in behavior. And I'm seeing that there are things I do that place kids at risk. I'm also aware that I won't always notice because some of these things are automatic for me. So I'm counting on you to point them out to me. I'm counting on you to monitor my behavior and to let me know when you see something that's a risk because I don't want to be part of the problem. I just want to be part of the solutions. That's someone who has the best interests of our children at heart. It's not about thinking the worst of people. It's about paying attention and speaking up when we notice something that gives us pause or is clearly inconsistent with agreed upon policies and procedures and practices. We, we just got to find a middle ground between accepting everything someone does because they're good people and suspecting every action because we think people are just bad. 
And that ground is located in the policies, procedures, and practices that are in place in our schools and churches and communities and organizations and in our awareness of and our adherence to standards of behavior that thwart the behaviors that are part of the grooming process. It's about monitoring our own behavior, monitoring the behavior of others, and calling to task anyone who's operating outside the boundaries of appropriateness. You know, that middle ground there is a place that includes love and trust and paying attention. (laughs) You know, we would never get on an airplane with a captain that was clearly drunk, even if the pilot was a close family member and someone we had flown with often. We would never ignore someone driving erratically and assume everything's fine just because we know them and we like that driver. The same is true in our commitment to safe environments. Just because we like and respect someone doesn't mean they have the freedom to act outside the appropriate lines or to act with impunity. We can and must interrupt risky behaviors. We can do that with respect and dignity. It's not necessary to point fingers and make loud accusations. It's just necessary to interrupt the behavior. And it's always, always, always critical to remember that our children are counting on us to keep the environment safe from predators. In fact, it would be a really good idea for us to adopt the Homeland Security slogan in this effort. If you see something... Say something. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you being part of this effort to create an environment where children are safe from sexual predators because we've stopped it before it happened. My hope is that no child ever has to fear being sexually assaulted by someone that says they care about them. My hope is those children never need intervention and therapy to deal with what happened to them. My hope is that you and I can create an environment where all children are safe from the risky adults who would prey on them and treat them as sexual partners. Thanks for being with me today. I invite you to share this conversation with others in your environment and to invite others to join us I look forward to your questions, your comments. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to be looking at some of those questions and comments from you and concerns that you have about how to deal with situations that arise. It is my intention to equip you with all the tools you need to keep children safe in your environment. Thank you for listening. Join us again keeping them safe. I look forward to your comments at swdkeepingthemsafe at gmail.com.